Hey guys, it's Chris Denson from Innovation Crush. You're about to listen to Design Life, brought to you by Behind the Hustle and Samsung on another episode of Crush Live. Good afternoon. Hey everybody. CPT time. Sorry we got started a little a little late, but you guys look good, so that's that's a good thing. Um, my name is Chris Denson. Um, I'll be the moderator for the first part of the day. Um, I actually host a interview series called Innovation Crush, so um, feel free to look that up, and uh, you'll find a lot, of, a lot of interesting things about how people get things done in innovation, and um, and I think that's a really good sort of uh, segue into like why we're here, right? Uh, this beautiful space. Thank you <laughs> to Samsung. This is uh, far more than what I expected. I've seen pictures of this place, and uh, there's a lot of really amazing things here. So we're really going to focus on some really amazing uh, individuals today, and, and that includes you guys uh, in terms of what you know, how innovation and design kind of collide, and and how you can build um, you know just new levels of success in your own careers and your own lives. So I'm excited to learn from from the panelists as well. Um, shout out to Sean G. Where do you go? Uh, D, oh, D, DJ disappearance. Um, that was cool. He just disappeared. <laughs> I wanted to come up to something cool, but I forgot to give him my, my uh, request. Um, and yeah, just uh, and thanks to, to Verge for, uh, for bringing over the coffee and uh, Aqua Hydrate for the, the water. So I'm definitely, I'll get a little cotton mouth up here, but uh, just look at them. Don't look at me. Um, but no, I appreciate everybody coming out. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up, um, you want to come do this? Uh, let's do some, a little bit of social media posting. Um, we're gonna do something funny with this uh, the new new Samsung joint, but everybody should wave their hands now. Wave, wait, no, 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 yeah, but just there you go. Wave to Don. Wave. <laughs> uh, there you go. I like this crowd. By the way, behindthehustle.com at behindthehustle. So if you hear any nuggets, you get some good photos. Um, this is my good side. But uh, just make sure you, you tag the people that you hear up here um, and tag Behind the Hustle. So with no further ado, um, let's bring out the panelists. You guys back there? Um, Spencer Nicosi, Jason Maiden, and Chris Spencer. Welcome, fellows. Well, let's just, I, I guess let's just jump right in, right? Like, um, I guess for starters, uh, let's just go around and, and first name, last name, what you're up to, you know, professionally, what, what do people know you for, what should they know you for, and then we'll, we'll jump into some questions. Yes. Hey, guys, what's up? My name is Spencer Nicosi. Uh, I own a brand called Kill Spencer in Silver Lake, and we design and manufacture uh, all of our products in our Silver Lake workshop, and we have a store there as well. Awesome. awesome. Jason Maiden, um, you guys know me from working on Jordan brand stuff. Um, I would rather be known for being a good husband and a good dad, so that's the most important title first. Um, Start but, already. Yeah, hey, brother. <laughs> He's a good dude. This, you'll yeah, you'll find you'll hear more of this. Um, and I work at Stanford University, and now I'm head of design in a startup called Mark One. How you guys doing? Uh, my name is Chris Stamp. I'm founder and creative director of a uh, brand out of Los Angeles called Stamped. Um, it's pre preliminary like uh, men's contemporary wear. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, so one of the themes, you know, is uh, that we're going to explore today is about making a big decision, right? Like 
you know, jumping from one thing to the next. That may be in family, it might be in your career. But just out of curiosity, you know, from your own personal journey, what has been uh, uh, the single most <laughs> big decision you've had to make in your career? So we'll start with you and uh, we'll go from there. I mean, I guess it was probably from um, like an early age, just committing to the idea of like, when I was young, like my parents were always like very adamant about me going to college. Um, and it was never something that I thought it was something I needed to do. It was just like, you go to high school, you go to college, and then you start your career. Um, so I kind of just went along with that path, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I, I finished the four years and um, I ended up studying business. And at, at the end of the four, I was like, you know, I, I'm not just gonna get a corporate job. I really wanna try and take a chance on my own. Um, so I ended up moving to LA after graduating um, and I got a I got a job at a restaurant for the first year and simultaneously I kind of just started my my business while I was not working there in my apartment um, and at the time my parents were looking at me and everyone else within kind of like my environment they're like dude you just went to school for four years how are you gonna you know not hop into something that is essentially the norm of what you're supposed to do I guess outside of going to school what did you study in school um, I started with graphic design, um, and then I made the bridge from there. I kind of, art was always something that was like a part of my life. My mom was a designer growing up. I grew up in kind of like a small business um, environment, and I always knew I would be falling back into kind of doing something within art or design, or I didn't really know what the lane I was going to choose at the time, but it was something that was always passionate to me. So. After studying graphic design for two years, I was like, you know, I don't want to just be designing logos and menus and things like that for for my career. Let me push myself a little bit. Um, so I transferred into the business department. And um, within there, I kind of did an emphasis on entrepreneurship. And um, with kind of like the design background and kind of like the little bit of business knowledge that I got graduating through the business school, um, I decided to kind of take the fashion path and, you know, start something on my own after I graduated. Good move. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jason, same thing. Uh, that's a great question. Um, for me, I would say the hardest decision in my career thus far is always the next decision because the older you get and the longer you're in the game, you always start to think about, can I still do this? Can I sustain the momentum? Can I keep the energy? Um, I would say the one that in my past that has been really difficult was when I resigned from Nike. And the reason I chose to leave the company was for my family, making sure that I could spend my time with my son and help him with what he was dealing with. But in the interesting point about it all is that people were like, you're giving up your dream job. But the difference between the dream and the purpose became real because I felt like my purpose was to be a good father first, not to be a designer of a sneaker company. Um, so it was really interesting being stuck in this moment, having to choose between my dream and my purpose, you know, particularly for a brand that I grew up loving. You know? And, what, and how did you uncover what your purpose is you know what I mean like you know it's yeah. a lot of I, I think a lot of us even you know just kind of go through that phase of where we there's something that we're passionate about yeah. but it doesn't necessarily align with a purpose just yet yeah I think um for me at least with my personal truth or my purpose is the thing that scares me the most you know um I realized it was my purpose because I was always bothered by it I was always concerned with it I always talked about it and it was health and it was health of children particularly black and latino males in the middle school age demographic like how they're doing their well-being um, the mental state of mind, you know, how they felt about themselves. And I would always get frustrated because I was labeled at that age. I was treated as if, um, you know, creatively my ideas weren't valuable. And from a self-worth perspective, I didn't understand who I was. 
So I always was wondering, how do you help young boys develop into positive men? And I was like, man, you know, I have the ability and the gift to design and create narratives and stories. Why don't I do that and serve that demographic? Because they need more inspiration and more insight than, you know, I love all the athletes and entertainers I've worked with, but those children need just as much creative thought um, behind solutions that help them just as much as, you know, an athlete does to, to, to play a sport. Yep. Spencer? Um, I studied industrial design in, in school um, at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, and a lot of the projects that you have to do revolve around making something that is like a prototype, that's like a fake object to kind yeah. of express your idea. And when I was in, in school, I reached out to the owner of a company called Incase. They make a bunch of bags. And I wanted to make a backpack for a project. And I said, hey, Bobby, like, what do I do? I want to make a bag. And he said, buy a sewing machine and figure it out. And I was like, nah, I <laughs> don't know. I'm a designer. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to sew. I don't, I've never sewn before. And it was at that point that I had to, like, make a decision. And it was kind of like, you know, to spend $1,500 on a sewing machine and kind of commit at that level kind of was my moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And that was like a big kind of decision to make and a big turning point in my career. And, and actually that allowed me to take these ideas that I had and actually realize them instantly in my bedroom. And that's an interesting point because, you know, one of the things I was thinking about was this idea of committing, right? When you do make that big decision and you're like, all right, I'm closing that door. You know, what does commitment look like at that point in time? Is it scary? Is it exciting? Is it all of the above? You know, um, Chris, I'll, I'll start with you again. But Yeah, I mean, I think commitment at that point is super scary. You know, it's the unknown. You don't know what you're getting into. And I think the first five years of my career, I mean, the whole thing was trial and error. And I would wake up every day and I was not, you know, in a confident headspace. I knew I was in a space that, like, I needed to, you know, keep on going and doing what I was passionate about at the time? Did I know if it was going to work out? Did I know if I, you know, was going to hit the right stride to make that kind of like a, a career indefinitely? No, I didn't. And so that, like, those first, I mean, it, it, it wasn't even just a year or two. Or it was literally, like, the first five years of, like, after I went to school. It was, like, this, this literally waking up with this level of unknown, you know? Is it going to kind of continue and work out? What, do, what does the meantime look like? You know what I mean? Because it, 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 when you're in that transition, right, and you, like it's a, if it's a five-year journey, you know, what happens, in, like you worked at the restaurant, like are you still making, you know, how did you make progress during that five years? I mean, I think there's steps that you need to be hitting in order to give yourself that level of confidence to kind of keep going. And I, you know, lucky enough, I, you know, I was hitting those and I was, I was making progress. It was, I'm the type of person where I feel like I'm never satisfied no matter what step or what goal I end up reaching, I always kind of want to, you know, once I get there, I'm like, all right, that was cool, but, like, you know, what's, what's next, you know? Right. So I think, you know, as I grew and as I matured as kind of, a, you know, a professional in the field, I, I was, like, hitting those. So it was giving me a level of confidence that made me want to keep going, you know, and keep one-upping myself, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't – I never had, like, the full security that – I've, I've finally like, but those little out. markers of success. Yeah, those little right. markers that you need, I think, to like allow you to keep going as you know, a young kind of an entrepreneur and kind of just going through those, just going going through the movements essentially. And Jason, you made a move like at a very young age from Chicago to go to Portland. Like, well, you know, and I would imagine like that's a big commitment, you know. Uh, but talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it was um, it was culture shock. I was uh, when I got to Oregon, I was 
a little bit over the age of 19, like 19 and a half, almost 20. And from that point, I went from the south side of Chicago to undergrad in Detroit and then Portland, Oregon. So it was a completely different element. I went from, <laughs> I don't even have to say it, just completely different worlds. But what was interesting, um, to Chris's point, was it, it was the fear of the unknown. It was the scariness. But it also became the fuel and the energy because I knew that it wasn't about myself. That if I quit, I was letting down a lot of people that would never get the opportunity to see the things that I was able to see. So every day I stepped on the campus, you know, I, I was rough, really rough around the edges. Um, I wore my hat to the wrong side on campus. I mean, I was <laughs> wearing, <laughs> I was still stuck in a Chicago state of mind, but the right people, you know, called me out, pulled me to the side and told me why I went wrong. They were like, you have a background in this product design thing. You're really good at it, but your attitude, you know, you overcompensating for your insecurities by acting like you're supposed to be here when it's okay to be scared. So you've always been J. May Shy City. Pretty much. Which is his Instagram and, and Twitter handle. Yeah, I, I, I'm Chicago through and through. Um, I, I'm hiding my accent now because so I can be uh, understandable. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, was, it was, you know, admitting to myself that it's okay to be nervous and scared, that doesn't make me weak. It makes me stronger because when you can say it out loud, you conquer your fear. You don't succumb to your own thoughts, you know. You don't tell yourself that you can't do it and stay in the shadows of your insecurity. So I had the right people tell me at the right time. Uh, Mr. Tinker Hatfield was the person. You know, it's okay to be afraid, but don't, don't become crippled by fear. Now, from a, from a practical standpoint, and I'm sure most of the people here know what you guys actually make and do, but, uh, you know, just to put it in perspective, you know, we can start. Um, and just because you know, it's interesting that you have the industrial design education and a lot of the stuff that you make is, like, industrial. But can you just walk people through some of the things that, you know, Kill Spencer creates? Yeah, so um, we're primarily a, a leather factory. Um, we focus on making leather goods, so we make uh, men's backpacks, weekender bags, briefcases, a lot of stuff for, you know, you know phone accessories. Uh, we also got into making kind of sporting goods, so like we make footballs and mini basketballs and soccer balls, and they're all like really made with the intention of playing with them. Uh, we make boxing equipment too, like speed bags and heavy bags, and so we box on those frequently, and kind of that's in the scope of what we what we make, I don't think I'm... Like a little Bo Jackson. Else. Kind of, yeah. Just having, <laughs> having fun with a lot of material and just figuring out is a way. Is he on to... the advisory board, by the way? Is Bo Jackson on your advisory board? Not yet. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, Mark One, what, do, what, is, what are you doing now? Like making the transition from, you know, the Jordan brand to... Mark One. So uh, Mark One is a health company to begin with. Um, we're launching a product called Vessel and it does nutrient tracking. So a lot of people don't realize the impact of beverages on their body. Um, so what we're trying to do is help kind of lift the veil on what you consume and how it affects your performance because people treat their cars better than they treat their body. You know, so if you have this vehicle and you have to put premium fuel in it to get premium performance, so we want to help people be at their best selves physically and cognitively. So um, start with the cup, and then as you can imagine, the technology goes into a myriad of things that will allow you to um, understand what you consume and how it affects your behavior and your, your ability to perform. Awesome. Chris? Um, I mean, we, I started in footwear, um, and I've kind of evolved from there now to pretty much just making everything um, in apparel. We do anything from T-shirts to sweatshirts to denim to um, sweaters. We're kind of making things globally now, kind of picking the right spot to make the right product. Um, and then from there, we've kind of started like a whole lifestyle division. So we're making things like surfboards and we're making art prints and we're doing um, 
jewelry accessories. So we're really trying to encompass a little bit of everything that kind of explains and I guess tells the story of the brand. So um, from a design perspective, right, you know, you all are obviously super creative individuals, you know, and it's one thing to kind of be, have a, a concept in your head and put it on paper and then get it out to a manufacturer. But, you know, how do you bridge that gap between like what you like as an individual to what the masses will, you know, uh, appeal to? Um, I'll, I'll start uh, on, on the side of the, the panel, but it, it's because there's such a broad portfolio yeah, of things. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, initially when I first started, when I was first started getting into footwear, it wasn't so much about what like I liked. It was more about like what my partner at the time and I thought the market would like. And we kind of did that for a couple of years. And we just at the end of it, I kind of looked back on it and I was like, this isn't this isn't working because I think, number one, it's not organic and it's not true to what I passionately believe in. Um, so when I kind of left my my partner at the time and I started stamped kind of by myself, I I had in my head that I just want to genuinely make things that like I would wake up every morning and put on myself. Like I would like to wear, I'd be like, I like, I like that. And I, I don't like that. And one of my design directors that I work with now, him and I kind of create and go through the steps of making, um, our collection on a season, seasonally basis. And, you know, we make a hundred things and we go through the line and we pick out the 80 pieces that we really love. And we focus on those. And those are things that him and I, are things that you know we would we'd personally wear we could see like our group of peers or you know the the crew of um my employees that we would all kind of get behind and really kind of support and um when i kind of changed the headspace and started thinking and like just a re really passionate about every single piece almost looking at every single piece as like an art an art project or an art piece that's when things like really started to click i guess it's awesome spencer um can you repeat the question, please? I don't remember it. No, I'm just kidding. As, as, <laughs> um, no, just kind of like you're taking your creative vision from like the one individual or the small team and, you know, what's the gut filtering process as you go through to make sure like, oh, this is something for the masses or is this something that people will want to consume and interact with? I mean, um, when I first started making things, I was making everything for myself because I couldn't find something on the market that was similar to the vision that I had in my head. And so I think kind of I am a filter, um, which is, I don't know, I guess sounds kind of weird, but you know, the idea is that like, I want to make things. I have a sketchbook. I have the ability to like dream up an idea. And fortunately now I have a factory that I built so I can actually execute those ideas. And hopefully people will respond to that. And I'm, I'm not the type of person or brand that like wants to follow a trend or kind of wears flashy things. I just like really good quality things that will last. And so that's kind of um, the backbone of everything that I'm, that drives me. Just the, the internal gut instinct. Like I like it and yeah, I, I assume other I'm people not, will like it. We're not like a seasonal brand. We're not like um, following um, the footsteps of other people. We're just kind of trying to lead our own. We have our own complete like um, kind of you know, uh, we're like kind of a vertical company. So we design, develop, manufacture, and ship everything directly to our customers. So there's no stores that I'm dealing with. There's, it's basically just me and my customers and what I'm working for me and for them kind of. Is there a desire for you to like be in more retail locations or you, do you enjoy the being able to create for directly to the individual? Yeah, I mean, right now we're really small, like a really small right. business. So there's, you know, a lot of, um, ben, there's a big benefit to, to doing that, but of course we want to be able to grow, and we just need to, to be able to bigger build a bigger factory 
and have like a larger line of products to be right. able to hit different um, markets, I guess. And Jason, you may have a, a bit of a different perspective, you know, or maybe you can add one to it, just at least working with a larger brand, right? And, you know, your design is very collaborative, I would imagine. Um, but feel free to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. Yeah, oh, no problems. But first, I want to point out that both of these guys aren't small businesses. They impact the culture at a very intimate level because they're close to the street. So, I mean, I'm, I came from a big corporation background, but these are the guys we look to for inspiration in a big company. So I just want to make sure y'all know that. Um, first, from a corporate standpoint, you know, when I started at Nike, it was designed by athletes for athletes. So it was very driven through the lens of empathy. Like, you had to understand what it felt like to get hit by a linebacker in order to design a running back shoe. You had to understand what it felt like to get punched in the mouth in order to work on a boxing shoe. So you had to put yourself in the environment of your person. So a lot of what I did is... And how up. literal does that become? Like, do you, do you actually get punched in the face? I did. I did. I did. <laughs> I, I sparred when I was working on Roy Jones stuff. I went, you know, I've been growing up fighting and doing other things. But I went and I was like, okay, what is it like have to prep for a fight mentally to understand how does he step into his legend or step into his archetype because athletes become archetypes they transition into a different personality when they perform I had to listen to all the voices in my head to get myself in the space that they got into in order to understand when they put on that shoe or that jersey or those pads they're representing something bigger so you know I would do batting practice um, and hitting a fastball major league fastball is the hardest thing I ever tried in my life Derek Jeter was doing it with one hand, having a full conversation with me and, like, five females. And I'm sitting up there sweating, competitive, like, yo. And my man is like, no, it's all good. Boom, boom. Left hand. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to stick to drawing. Um, but then the stuff that we teach at, at Stanford at the D school, which is my, my second job, it, it's the design thinking process. And it always starts with empathy. I mean, much like what these guys said, it's listening to the voice of your consumer, but listening to your inner voice and knowing if it, if it doesn't feel right, if you won't wear it or use it yourself, then why make it? So our process is very similar. We may have different budgets, but the, the, the beginning is always the same. What does, what does, and this is for anybody, but like, what does bad design look like, right? Because like, I, I feel like not everybody has the skill. Like, they may have the desire, may have the yeah. concepts or whatever. But at some point, like, if somebody's rocking a full-length sweater, you're like, uh, well, who thought of that? You know, like, what, what is the, you know, what is your filter to go like, <laughs> even though I, I thought this was going to be the bomb, like, it is not. Um, and anybody can answer that I mean, I was just going to say, like, at the end of the day, like, we like to have kind of a filter of, like, what gets out there, but it's not, I always, like, maybe bring things to market, and I'm surprised on sometimes, like, what actually catches as opposed to what I initially thought what was going to be, like, the banger for that season. Um, but going back to your point, like, as far as what I think bad design is, I mean, first of all, I think bad design starts with knockoffs people that just literally look at what you do and they just copy it to a T and have no perspective of their own, you know? Um, I think you really kind of have to believe in, I guess, what you're looking at, your taste level and um, how you carry yourself as a designer and a lot of, you know, things within the, within the industry now, especially in apparel, and especially given Instagram and how quick information goes to market, you know, we've seen things we would put up and we're going to be dropping in three weeks and somehow there's a brand, looks at it, knocks it off directly and is able to come to market before we were even able to. Um, do they shoot it as well? Do they execute the product as well? Do they have the same vision? Is it going to be a long-lasting thing that hopefully something that we're trying to build? Probably not, but still I think, you know, that's just one of the things that I hate within design when people don't have their own perspective and I think... Yeah, it kills me. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, I think I completely agree. I think the knockoff game is uh, it's lazy. It's, it's so lazy because um, people put so much effort into it. 
Um, but to, to go deeper on a point he talked about taste level, the tools of creation have become so accessible that people can make anything, right? I blame the person that purchases it because they have poor taste. Like bad design is only bad design once it's purchased and put out into the world. If no one ever sees it, then it's just a bad idea or an idea that's unfinished. But the people who don't have taste, they just have money and they just go out and just get stuff and allow this stuff to live and exist. I'm like, man, what are you doing? Like, you can get something that is handcrafted, beautifully made, has a purpose and a reason, you know, uh, like the products these gentlemen make, and you can actually up your taste level and have a narrative versus trying to follow a trend or follow a style and all that. So bad design is just bad intent. And then it's multiplied by people with poor taste who have a lot of money with that poor taste. <laughs> So, so but that, and, and those people, in some cases, become the influencers, right? Like, you know, whether it's a celebrity or, you know, somebody who's a high-profile individual wearing something horrible or rocking something horrible, yeah. you know, kind of becomes the voice of, of reason in that, in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think you, you both touched on something, which is sort of the access that we all have to content, to read a blog. Like, your blog is beautiful. Like, I was scrolling through it this morning, like, all, it, it almost was late here. But, you know, this idea that you can, you can see, you know, we're exposed to much more culture, much more design than ever before. And, you know, there is flattery to knockoffs in, in some regard. But do you feel like social media has become a gift or a curse? Because on the flip side, like you can reach masses with your products. You don't need to be a quote unquote large company, right? You can have that same reach. So do you, well, like which side of the coin are you on? Or, uh, and I'll start with you, Spencer. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many people doing so many things out there. And especially with um, technology, you can see what's happening at a moment's notice. And that's for me, that's somewhat of a curse because I can just spend like hours on Instagram just like being inspired by all these people. But then at the same time, when you go and try to make something and you put it out there, the, the time it takes to actually design, build something and execute it, photograph it, plan to like, you know, with your PR team or whatever um, and to release it, you know, like what Chris was saying, like by the time you've done that, you know, there's other companies who have much more power to be able to execute that much faster. So, you know, for me, like, I, I just love being kind of inspired by what people are doing. But if you can kind of keep your own path and keep your own lens kind of, um, you know, in the right kind of view of, like, what you want to create, then you shouldn't have any problems, like, with all that stuff, you know. Uh, Chris? I mean, I think for us it's definitely been a gift. Um, there does there is a downside of like putting information out and people knock you off or whatever. But I mean, I started in 2011. I kind of restarted my company, and we were only going um, direct to consumer via via our website. So for the first year and a half, we were just selling um, limited edition headwear and accessories, um, and really only pushing it through um, our social media outlets and also just a couple blogs that were kind of getting behind what we were doing. And it really started a pretty core foundation of um, people that appreciated what we were doing and um, we kind of built the business off of that really um, yeah so it, I, I think it worked out for us for sure so so with non communication based technology right uh, like you think about the design process right you started off with your sketchbook the same thing industrial engineering like all these different points of influence you know what's changed since I, I don't know, how has technology influenced your creativity, your creative process? You know, uh, and I'll actually start with Jason because you actually are working in, in, on the technology side as well. So how has technology influenced your design process and your design thinking versus like old school, like writing my raps in the notebook <laughs> you know, <laughs> process? 
Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's changed for me personally tremendously because data is a new medium. You know, like I have industrial design background. We were talking, you know, backstage, and, and you start off with wood, you start off with foam, you start off with paint, you start off with fabric, you start off with all this stuff to, to create. Now data is giving you that same ability to make stuff. And it's amazing what you'll find. You're able to see patterns that you never could physically see. You're able to understand and uncover latent needs that were missing in the marketplace. So as a designer, if our job is to serve the masses, not only can we access the information, we can use it to serve them in ways they never even imagined. So it's been crazy to see the future and see where it's headed. Um, it's almost coming to a point where technology is going to design its way out of having people having to be involved in it. It's insane with some of the, the natural language processing and the way algorithms are headed. It's just like, man, it's a, it's a world of discovery that for the first time in the history of humanity, we're able to understand patterns in ways that could really move the needle on what it means to produce a product. It's so crazy. no people need it, basically, is what you're in yeah, the future. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Yeah, well, yeah, it was a good, uh, good session. I'm not saying that. People <laughs> need it. But what I'm saying is it's the difference between, um, you know, uh, artificial intelligence and augmented intelligence. Like, I'm a big fan of augmented intelligence, which means I know this, but now I have this data, and I can know it better, and I can do it faster. So technology is, is turning us into superhuman creators because we can see a trend, react to the trend, not only do it in the moment, but do it and guarantee that we're faster than the future. So it's crazy right now. I mean... I just want to touch on that for a minute. I mean, in regards to technology and how it starts or helps like small business, I think the biggest thing is like efficiency. It's like, you know, funding your own business, starting it from like something really small and hopefully getting to the next level. It's like you have to be super conscious of how you spend your money and how efficient you're working within that process. Um, you know, if I wasn't able to create like a tech pack on a computer, send it to a factory, and then in two weeks, like have them send me back a prototype place an order and bring it to market, like I wouldn't have been able to like get things going as fast as possible. If I was with a small team of five people paying every single person to run around LA to find a zipper, to sew something, to find a fabric, you would not be able to like work on the same economies of scale that we kind of are working on now and kind of like allowed me at least to get to the point where, where we are relatively quickly, so. Uh, for me, I, I had the opportunity to buy my first laser cutter and that was like, the coolest thing because you can literally like go into a computer like design your vector file and press a button and you have this laser cutting to a hairline um, efficiency like just exactly what you want and you know being able to kind of go I've had a, I've been fortunate enough to go to like NASA JPL and kind of see like all of these scientists and engineers um, building and executing things that are like far beyond the earth's crust, you know, <laughs> and like just, you know, technology is obviously um, leading with, I mean, it's just like changed our whole lives, but, you know, being able to kind of um, have, you know, software and things aid and support and speed up and make like, you know, these ideas come to life much more quicker, much more quickly is, is um, you know, so, so different than how things used to be. You know, I'm sure at Nike long ago, like things were very slow. It's like, you know, they got the waffle iron and you're kind of like <laughs> putting like a, a piece of rubber on the bottom of, of a shoe. But now it's like you press a button and it's like 3D printed in like 15 minutes. And then you have like 10 of them that come out at the same time in different materials and colors and you get to choose and then go into production right away, you know. <laughs> so but he's on his phone. What's your name? Clarence, all right, I'm, I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, you, you mentioned like stuff, and he's leaving. Look at. Um, <laughs> no, you mentioned like visiting uh, JPL, and I'm sure you know when we talked earlier about like your mind, your designs, and like that small circle of influence that you look to. Um, but where do you go outside for creative influence broadly, right? Like what, what, especially with a brand like Stamped, right? You, you're making so many different things, you know, from surfboards to shoes, right? Um, where, where do you guys go for that sort of off-kilter creative inspiration? Jason, I'll start with you as well. Um, and I say, uh, excellent question. For me, it changes daily. Um, um, typically, I start with some form of historical text. I'm a big fan of history, so I like to see other people's mistakes first um, and learn from that. So I'll start by reading to get a sense of what the story is, you know, that I want to create against or uh, um, use as inspiration. And then I just look out into, you know, go all the way back in history and I look to the future. So I use um, a lot of Japanese manga, anime, a lot of science journals. I read a lot of science and psychology journals. Um, I read a lot of business journals, because when you understand the, how economies work, you can start to see how human behavior works. Um, and so all that stuff gives me an insight into what people are gonna want, because in times of war, economic downturns, the actually luxury goods go up, because people wanna feel good, so they spend more money when things aren't going well economically. So it's just these weird correlations you see when you step outside of design and you look at humanity and try to draw your inspiration from that. So, you know, at my core, um, I just try to be exposed to things that make me uncomfortable, and things that I don't know. So I'm always searching for the room where I can enter into where I'm the dumbest person so I can learn from people. So that's what keeps me, I guess, creatively sharp. Spencer, are you a boxer and a CrossFit athlete or do you go outside for your, <laughs> your inspiration? I mean, I definitely uh, run quite a bit and box at my studio as much as I can and jump rope and uh, play as many sports as possible. But for me, like, I think most of the creative inspiration comes from just like, you know, there's so many talented artists and kind of my friend group and people in LA that I'm still meeting. And I don't know, just like if you look at a sketchbook from like James Jean, he's like a fine artist. Or like if you go to David Wiseman's studio and see all the stuff he's building in his foundry, or go visit like June Shaw, who's like an amazing up and coming tattoo artist. You see these guys and the people who are extremely passionate are the ones who are doing it all the time, all day long. And I think those are the people that kind of inspire me because like I could be work, I work really, really hard, but like you see all these other people and they're just like have achieved so much like these guys here and you can't do it without being on it. Like it has to be your life, you know? Now or, what did you see at the Jet Propulsion Lab that you kind of, like, that stuck with you? Oh you man, know? I mean there's, that place is huge. There's like 5,000 people up there and I've been into a lot of the buildings and got to, just to see a lot of, um, you know, these engineers working like on specific things for the Mars rover, things that flip and click and twist and like project and fly and hover and material. There's a material they have. Um, it's called aerogel. Have you heard of it? I use it if in my you, hair. If you Google it, it's pretty interesting. It's basically like this cloud. It's like this. It's, it's like this big. And it's basically like this cloud that you can weighs nothing, and you can take a blowtorch and like put a blowtorch like this onto it and it will not penetrate through your hand or even like the layer, the love, the top layer of this material. Wow. And it, it's, it's like, Google it, it's really interesting. That was like kind of like, and then they also have like mat machines there where um, they can, they have a grain of sand, right? And they were able to drill a hole through a grain of sand. And so they, they blew it up on a microscope and the grain of sand is like this, this big 
then the hole is like really small on that grain of sand. I was just like, wow. Yeah, that's, he said that's oh, next another level. project, like, and, and they said like the entire known universe fills up six rooms with sand, and the Milky Way and the three galaxies around it are that hole, you know, and that one grain of sand. Yeah, what we know about yeah. our world is that hole in that grain of sand, and what we don't know, but we know that exists is six rooms filled with grain of See, where's Clarence? He missed the whole... Crazy. Um, <laughs> same thing, Chris. Um, you know, where's your inspiration come from? I mean, I, I wish I was able to get inspired from NASA. Unfortunately, I have been there. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess for me, it's a little bit more surface level. Like, I, I mean, from music to just listening to music really loud in my car on the way to work to eating like amazing Mexican food with my friends and just kind of like enjoying myself. I find like the happier I am, the more I feel like I'm in my element with my crew and my girl or whoever I'm with at the time. And I'm kind of, then I really kind of like start thinking and I guess get inspired by different things. You know? What defines happiness for you? Um, I guess just not feeling like I'm crazy, not feeling like <laughs> that things are not going to work out or something, kind of having like a light at the end of the, at the end of the tunnel and really kind of like thinking with clarity. Um, I feel like there's so much going on, especially for me at all given times. If like, I'm not, if I, if I don't see that kind of like end result and see that it's like things are moving into that direction, um, I start to think differently and I get uninspired or whatever, but um, yeah. That's awesome. Um, you guys have all sort of worked on some form of collaboration at some point, right? And you take your individual passion or vision and connect that with somebody else's. You know, I'm curious as to how you reach that middle ground, right? Uh, you know, um, and, and just how, what that collaboration process is like. And also, when do you decide you want to collaborate, right? There comes a point where you want to establish your own brand, but maybe the partnership might help you get your brand out there. Um, and there's a really, you know, interesting dynamic of decision-making that goes into that. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll start with Jason, just in terms of, you know, that idea of collaboration and, and how it comes to life in, in your day-to-day. -day. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, I would say in the current formation of collaboration for me is my, myself and four individuals, uh, one of which is right here, DeVars Brown. We collaborated and we created a crew called Trillicon Valley to bring a different conversation to the Silicon Valley around what it means to be a minority in technology. So for us, we come from different disciplines, different backgrounds, and we collaborate to push each other. You know, much like Chris mentioned and what you mentioned, being around people that are better than you at something is the greatest motivation. And so in my personal life, I collaborate with people that I, I look at as my personal geniuses, people who can do things I can't do and I learn from them. In the corporate and design sense, I always look for brands that I wish I would have created to partner with. Like, man, that's so dope. Like, I respect, like, when, when Don C was, was just getting off the ground with Just Don, we collaborated with Jordan, and it was like, A, not only because I know him, but because I really believed in what he was doing. It went back to being kids in Chicago wearing hats with troll kids glued on a brim and snakeskin on a hat. So it, it spoke to who we were when we were kids, and he brought that to the masses. And so we wanted to bring a little bit of a flavor of the South Side of Chicago in the 90s to the world, and he did it. And that, that, that moment when we collabed with Jordan was the greatest honor because it was connecting my childhood to my dream job, to friends, and just seeing them shine and win was so great because a little bit of my world was able to, you know, um, to you know, play a part in their journey. And so those moments for me, man, seeing other people win and being around people smarter than me, that's, those are the best collaborations that I've ever experienced. Chris? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of just to go off that, it's like utilizing different people or different situations for what they're good at and kind of accentuating that to bring one thing to life that is better for both people. So, um, I mean, for, for my brand and 
for example, we um, about a year and a half ago, we got together with Puma and uh, Puma approached us and they're like, you know, we we want to do something with you guys. We don't really know exactly what to do. Um, and I just at the time I was kind of getting a little bit more into like athletics and working out and the whole thing. And I was like, you know, I'd love to bring something to market that told the story of what Stamped is, the fit of the product, um, but utilize Puma for their execution with um, athletic apparel, construction, their ability to kind of make anything that you can really like, I guess, think of at the time. And like for us, we're not able to do things like that at, at this point yet. We, you know, we still, we still have to work within certain budgets or whatever. And now, you know, a, you know, a smaller brand from LA is able to be working with this multi-billion dollar like giant. And we kind of used like our, I guess, aesthetics and kind of like ear to the street of what is, is I guess, relevant for our market. and what they're good at as far as execution with footwear, with apparel. So we did um, like a whole athletics collection that's just within Stamp now, so. Was there, was there any, like, I mean, what was the back and forth process like? Because I would imagine when a company like Puma comes to the table, like they have certain expectations, either from a creative standpoint or did they turn over, you know, the creative vision to you? You know, this happens in other areas like media and content and like where, you know, a brand wants to work with a, a, an influencer in a certain, by James Jean, um, NASA, um, the air cloud. Yes, the, the cloud. Yeah, I'm just catching you up. Uh, <laughs> Call him out. Now I forgot what I was talking about. Thanks, Clarence. Um, no, but just, you know, I guess continue. <laughs> um, I mean, what the process with them is like, I can, I can think of something and kind of go to market with it within three to four months. With them, it's like a year and a half. So that was something that was like getting used to kind of that idea of designing something and knowing that like I'm not going to see this actually be sold for like a year and a half. It's like, am I going to like it then? Is it going to be kind of relevant to the market at that point? And it's something that you kind of have to just stomach, I guess, and kind of just come to terms with. Um, luckily with them, they kind of like left, left it pretty open as far as like what I wanted to do and the direction I wanted to take it. Um, Based on that, there was kind of a structure of how many styles and how many SKUs they wanted to see come to market within the collection that we were doing. But um, yeah, it was it was it was a good back and forth for sure. You're looking at something, so I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just given some sort of cue. I'll have to figure it out. Um, no, but so I think about this the, the the idea of collaboration and what that means, and then also um, I don't know what was that first point for all of you that you kind of knew you were on, like it was, the, it was right, right? I, I understand like you had like some early indicators of success, but at one point you go like, I've arrived in some way, right? Um, and yeah, I would imagine like, especially with a lot of the handcrafted things you were doing and buying a sewing machine, it was like, this is not the direction. And then one day it goes, ah, okay, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the right space. Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. I can go a bunch of different ways with that. Um, you know, there's, we make products that are very specific and they're very specific price points. So the people that come into our studio and into our store um, can kind of buy whatever they want, you know? And so I've had the opportunity to become friends with a lot of interesting people. Um, and I think kind of that point of arrival was, you know, just when celebrities come in and you become friends with them and um, they invite you to travel with them and kind of that type of thing, you know what I mean? Yep. So for me, that, that was kind of like, oh shit, this is, this is crazy. I'm seeing another part of the airport that I've never seen before where you like roll in in a, in a Mercedes and then you get like 
you get like taken right in and you don't even go through any terminal or anything. It's like, wow, you, you that would be nice if no that happens like, to me without someone else, you know? <laughs> but uh, so that's, that's kind of, um, that, that was for me kind of pretty cool. Um, yeah, I would agree, man. Just being exposed to things you never knew existed, you know? Um, but honestly, I, don't, I, I never feel like I arrived. I mean, I stay hungry. I still remember just being a kid in a wild, wild hundreds on the south side of Chicago and not having anything. And so I keep, I chase that hunger. That hunger, give, you know, it, give, it fuels me. Because um, I, I feel like if I, if I ever feel myself like, yo, I'm Jason May and I've arrived, then I'll, I'll, I'll just plateau and just get crazy lazy. Um, but in terms of the moment where I realized, like, wow, I actually am doing something that people like, was the first time I went and saw people sleeping outside for my shoes in Hong Kong. I thought it was a joke. I was like, why, I was like, why are they queuing up? And this was in like 2004 or something. And they were like, nah, man, this shoe is coming out. And I was just walking past the store, like, that's this crazy shoe and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's my product. Like, <laughs> what in the world are you doing here, man? Go to school, why are you? But then, <laughs> then I realized like, you know, something that I thought was interesting turned into something that these people really found interesting and they, they slept outside. So I joined them in the line and bought my own shoe and was like buying coffee for people. It was just a humbling experience. Like, man, thank you. Um, they didn't did you believe cry? Me. Huh? Did you cry? I, I had a thug tear. I did. <laughs> it didn't come out. It was like Denzel and Glory. It came down the cheek. And I was that's like, a different kind of tear, though. That's, that's a, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's a very it different tear. It was a single tear. <laughs> and it was based on my allergies at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was cool. <laughs> Your allergies. Same thing. Um, I guess it, you know, I don't, like what, Chase was saying, I was like, I don't know if I've really, like, reached a point where I feel like, oh, my God, like, you know, I've always wanted to kind of, like, one-up. But a couple years ago, I got I got back from a trip, and every time I would go on a trip when I was, like, first building a team, I would always be tripping out. I'd be like, yo, like, everyone back in L.A., are they working? If I'm not in the office, are they even coming to work? Is everyone late? Like, what is anything getting done when I'm not there? And it kind of, it was, like, the first time I got back from this trip, I think I was in... Europe or something for a trade show and I got back and I was talking to like one of my one of my main guys like that Monday morning I was like all right dude I know I know we got to get back to work like what's going on like what do I need to do I know I have like a hundred to do's and he's like no dude like we're good like you don't have anything to do you know and I was like wow like that was the first time I had confidence within my team that like they just handled everything while I was gone and I you know it kind of just like gave me this sense of like wow I think we're like on to something like Things can work while I'm not here. So that's awesome. By the way, I owe you an apology when I announced the panel and I said Chris Spencer. Chris Spencer is not here. <laughs> Chris Stamps is here. Um, so before we get into QA, I, uh, one last question um, under this guise of big decisions. Um, what is your next big decision you're facing? I'll give you some time. And I'll start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go. Uh, our next big decision is just growth. We have uh, a lot of people who are coming to us that want us to be involved in their business. And it's just like kind of since we started, fortunately, we've just been getting emails and emails and emails nonstop. And, we, and it's just like, okay, what, you know, we're a small business. And how do we kind of keep the small business mentality and keep the integrity and keep like the authenticity of like what it is that we're designing and building but do it um, so more people can access it. Maybe more people can afford it. You know, I mean, I want to make amazing things, and, but at the same time, if you try to make something amazing, it's difficult to make it affordable. Um, that's my current design challenge, is, is how do it, I make it, something fucking amazing 
but make it really um, accessible to the people who I really want to, um, you know, to appeal to. So I love that because I, I think we all face a myriad of choice, yeah. right? And and like filtering through that to actually make a best decision, you know, it's time consuming and it's maybe more time than you want to take, but it's important to, to take the time to go like, all right, who are we as a brand? And like, what is the next step that's going to bridge the gap from to get us to from point A to, to point C, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many problems to solve and especially with the type of industry that we're in, there's like, you know, if you ever traveled anywhere, you have to carry a bunch of shit with you. It's like, there's no, there's nothing out there that really works well enough. And how do you do that um, and look good and have it be minimal and not be kind of like this techie thing? And so for us and me personally, it's like I'm interested in solving and working harder to solve those problems. That's kind of like on my on my agenda right now. Just get better and better and better at kind of reducing but increasing the quality. Jason, next big decision. Um, that's a great question because um, I literally am in the middle of like massive decisions at this moment in my life. Um, so for me, I'm torn between, do I work on projects that can significantly bring personal growth and wealth and privilege and access, or do I work on things that can provide access and privilege and wealth for other people? Um, so I'm, I'm in this impasse of where, you know, everyone from venture capital um, firms to companies are trying to recruit me in the Silicon Valley, and I have a project I'm working on at Stanford called The Tribe, where I'm reinventing the Boy Scouts for black and Latino males to teach them, you know, how to have proper coping mechanisms, how to actually build, how to, you know, start a business rather than just start a fire. So that to me isn't something where I know I'll make a lot of money, but I'll make a lot of impact because I'll be able to help these young men. So I'm at this moment where it's like, I have a family, I have bills, I have the reality of living in the most expensive part of the world, trying to just keep my kids, you know, at a certain level of education and access. But then I have this, this opportunity to help so many young people in this country. So it's, it's which path do you go with? Do you go with the popular choice or do you go with the choice that you know in your heart is the right one? So, you know, it's crazy because I want to choose both, you know, and I, and I don't want to leave anything on the plate and I don't want to waste, you know, any bit of my life worrying about what would happen if I miss sleep or if I fail. So I don't know if I'll be able to make a choice because I, I know that both of them are going to help each other. Um, and I know that the choice I did make years ago was to not take on any project that I can complete in my lifetime. I want to work on stuff that is going to take several generations to complete, because that way at least my legacy would be intact. Um, and I'll be able to you know, remove the, the egoism that is associated to success, because I can't see the finish line, because it's not intended for me to finish the project. Um, so I, that fear of not finishing is gone. Now I'm just thinking about the things I want to start, and how do I set a foundation so other people can build. There's a rule I like, you know, and I think starting off the conversation all about, you know, making choices and sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But there's a quote that I like is that the universe is like a, um, a GPS, like even if you make a wrong turn, it'll still get you to where you're supposed to be going. And so, you know, I, I, I think all of you have sort of lived that in one way or another. Um, Chris, same thing. What's, you know, what's your next big decision? Um, I, I guess it's the direction I want to take, you know, kind of like what Spencer was saying, the growth of the business. Um, we're actually going to be open in store this this coming fall, and it's do I want to focus on kind of like the brick and mortar, like vertical business, or do I want to continue on like selling to you know all of our wholesale accounts and really grow the band, grow the brand, kind of like on a quicker global scale. Um, so I'm kind of like in between the two, and kind of like how to allocate the correct money, like for whichever kind of like choice that we um, pick, so. That's fantastic. Yeah. 
Um, so, but we're going to get into the Q&A. Make sure you guys stick around after the Q&A. These guys are going to hang out for a little while. There's going to, uh, Samsung's putting on an amazing workshop, all this amazing technology here to, you know, kind of just open up your minds and really, you know, get to toy around with some amazing technology. Um, but with that said, who is our first uh, question asker? And there's always one. There you go. Hello, um, I'm Scott Way. So, quick question. So, we're in a room full of young designers, right? And I feel like the biggest goal for us is to like reach consumers. So, and I feel like we got the power of the internet with the 2000s. So, like, what best? You now we have a couple of platforms. We have Shopify. I feel like you know I heard of WordPress, um, Squarespace. Um, you know, a couple other ones. Based on your guys' experience, which ones do you guys recommend? You feel me? You guys get what I'm asking? Yeah, I mean, I can talk on that a little bit. Um, I mean, I think, I think Shopify is actually the most turnkey kind of like solution that you can use for like an up-and-coming designer. It's super easy to use, and um, it's really intuitive with the amount of like information that they give you on the back end as far as who's kind of going to your site, who, you know, what's the demographic, and there's all these different things that you can kind of analyze that really help you, um, you know, grow your business. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Hi, my name is Sahai. Um, being that this is called Behind the Hustle, can you guys each tell us of a time that you took a huge risk that really paid off for you? I think for, I'll just start, I guess. For me, um, I had the opportunity to uh, go to China and visit uh, my mentor's factories. And I visited these amazing factories that produce like 30,000 bags a day. And it, for me, being a college student at the time, that was just like kind of totally way bigger than I wanted to, I couldn't like wrap my head around it. And it like kind of intimidated me. It's also expensive to travel to China. I had like no money and just, just to go there and it was just like all of my money I had to spend to go learn. And uh, at the end of my trip, I told uh, my mentor, I was like, dude, fuck this. Like, I want to build my own factory in L.A. Like, I do not ever want to go there again. Um, and he said, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> this is a guy who, like, I've spent a lot of time learning from. He's like, if you set it up, I'll fund you. And I was like, what? I would never had that expectation. And, and so... Um, I had to make the decision of whether or not I was going to take a loan, like a big loan, more money than I'd ever seen in my entire life on a check, and be responsible for it. And so um, for me, when I came back to L.A., uh, I put like a little vision together for what I wanted to build and figured out how much it would cost. Um, and I told my mentor, I was like, okay, this is what it's going to be. And it's expensive to buy any machine, let alone 10 machines and tools and a location and um and so i i took a a check um put it in the bank and i wound up uh, paying him back in full in five months with interest and he didn't take any equity in the company which was he's just a very generous person and so for me that decision to take a loan build a my first work factory workshop um that this guy have a name because we could all use a check. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his name is Bobby Chang. He's a very, very. <laughs> oh, well, you just put him. Up. I was joking, yeah, but no, he's I, Bobby I, Chang. Everybody, just I couldn't, look him up. I couldn't have done. I couldn't have done what I, what I've been able to accomplish without that initial 
uh, like Kickstart. You know, you can go on Kickstarter now because I didn't wasn't out at the time, and and raise a good amount of money pretty quickly. But that that for me like changed my life, and like um, he knows like I, I you know and so like um, there's a lot of thing a lot of people in your life like my family is a huge influence uh, upon me like they're there whenever I need it to and just like having certain resources to be able to kind of like you know people who are there to help you is just like you got to use that to your advantage and so that was like a big all of those are huge you know for me yeah um for me it was when I decided to go to business school um, at Stanford it was crazy because at the time when I chose this route it wasn't common for designers to want to get a business degree and B, I completely was a fish out of water. I mean, I was competing with people that had went to school for economics and finance and like actually did math in college, like art school. <laughs> I think the math we did was cutting wood and doing stuff in wood. Like it was a very different uh, educational path. And the risk was to my career, because at that point, you know, um, I, I had access to all these projects. You know, I was the go-to guy for anything that Nike wanted from an innovation standpoint. Same thing with Jordan. And I had a daughter on the way. I'm studying for the GMAT with you know, with the tutor, I'm designing three signature shoes. I'm right, and it's like I burned myself. I put myself in a hospital. Thought I had a brain aneurysm just to get into. Literally, like had meningeal fluid taken from my back. It was crazy. Um, but the risk was like, man, I'm doing all this to get a degree that won't even probably pay off because designers don't need MBAs. They don't need master's degrees. What am I doing? It was crazy. Why would I quit a job? Why would I not have any income? Um, so what ended up happening in my regard is when I expressed my fear of what was going to happen financially and just I got a daughter on the way, I need insurance, um, I ended up getting sponsored by Mr. Knight personally to go to Stanford um, to, to, because I was so afraid to tell people. I thought I was going to get fired. Like, oh, man, I'm, a, I'm doing sneakers. I want to get a degree. They're like, why? What are you doing? But he heard, you know, the earnestness in my request, and he knew that I wanted to do something good with my life because of this degree. So he sponsored me. Then I went back to Nike for two years. Um, to pay him back and, you know, contributed to, you know, several different categories within the company, went back to Jordan. And ultimately, by taking that leap of faith and deferring a year, you know, being asked to stay after I already had gotten into business school, deferring a year with nothing in writing from a company who promised me stuff. And, you know, you need stuff in writing for any corporation. Walking on faith and them coming through and taking care of me and me coming back with any paperwork, no signed agreements, um, it was such a crazy risk because I put myself out there. I put myself at risk of being fired, risk of financial failure, risk of putting my wife and kids in a situation where we were out on the street and homeless, um, like literally, because I, I don't, we don't come from like a safety net. And um, it worked out tremendously because what I discovered through the process was that, you know, uh, you know, there are no such thing as limits. It's only what you place on yourself. And I placed significant amount of limits on myself because of what I thought I had. I didn't have enough money. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't this. But then when I looked at what I was good at, I realized that it was more than enough because at least I was willing to take that risk, but most people weren't. So um, walking on faith and taking that leap was amazing. It's, it's the exact reason why I'm able to kick it with people like this guy and, and, and these geniuses that are sitting to my right and my left because I just walked out on faith and said, screw it. I'd rather live a life and fail versus fail to try, you know? Them. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. What he said. <laughs> No, but I think one of the theme, at least between those two stories, is also like vocalizing, right? Like I think a lot of people are scared to say, you know, what those fears are, or what those doubts are, like to disagree with the fact that your mentor is manufacturing in China is a is a bold move. Like eh, I don't want to do this, right? Like you know, um, but to vocalize and like have dialogue, and then 
the uh, amazing stuff seems, seems to happen. Uh, next question. Uh, DeVaris Brown, uh, question. Can you talk about a time that you've experienced failure uh, and how that's kind of fueled your innovation and your processes going forward? Yeah, man, I, I could talk about when I was very public. Um, my first time doing the Air Jordan in 2009, it was horrible. That shoe was whack. And I did it, so I could say it. Um, because I was so afraid to mess up, I messed up. It was so hard to look, you know, to look my hero in the face and to have him shake his head like, man, this is whack. I'm like, yeah, it's whack. <laughs> but, you know, having that sting, that humility, that humble experience, man, it changed me because now I don't really care about if it's whack or not. I just care if I put my heart into it, if I try my best. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So that, that was the hard failure for me. I, um, I dropped out of school to try to start a company, like halfway through my education. And I had, I thought that what I was going to do was going to be amazing and it just wasn't. And you know, when you're young and you have like, you think you're the shit kind of, that's how my head was um, at that time. And I had to go back to school and like, like beg to let, for them to let me back in. Cause I wanted to, I realized that I didn't have all the skills and all the tools to be able to execute what I had in my head. And where'd you, where'd you go to school? I went to Art Center, College of Design in Pasadena, and, um, and so I dropped out halfway through, tried to start a company, it totally failed, wasted money, wasted time, and then I had to go beg to get back in. And fortunately, they let me, they let me back, but it wasn't easy, and so that was like, man, that was a big and, and waste of the whole And what did you continue to summer. learn after you went back? You know what I mean? Because it's like, if you didn't learn the business yeah. stuff before you left, like what, what, what was yeah. those, were those next couple of years like? I don't, there's like a lot of people that um, have an idea and they try to execute it. And um, I learned that it's, you know, to execute something at a very high level requires a great deal of resources, time, and just an understanding of what you want to do and skill, you know? And I, I just didn't have the skills. I thought I did, but when you get into it and you try to do something and you realize it's like not working and, you, and then if you're humble and can take a step back and realize why it wasn't working, it's just because I just wasn't smart enough i didn't know enough I, and uh it failed so i that was a big <laughs> waste of an entire summer basically yeah i mean my first like three years as designer kind of like entrepreneur i i was approached by um an investor at the time and he was like you know i'm gonna come in i'm gonna handle production and finance you're gonna do marketing design and you know at that point i was like a year out of college um and like some dude approached me he's like dude let's do this and i was like you know 24 i was like i'm gonna have my own company i'm gonna have a salary like this whole thing and everything sounded amazing um but little did we know we were getting into an industry that really neither of us knew anything about we knew how to kind of make product i kind of knew how to use photoshop and illustrator and um we pretty much after about two and a half three years put put ourselves in about a quarter million dollars worth of debt and through that I was just like you know and at that point I was like 26 and he's like well you know Chris this isn't really working out anymore and I'm like yeah like I know you know so uh, I was like I think we need to switch it up or something you know so at that point it was like I was kind of in a comfy situation where I wasn't too concerned about like managing finances that was something that he was supposed to handle and I was just like the creative element of it and it really kind of it 
it was like a sobering experience to go through and like a huge wake up call that like, you know, this isn't, you really have to look at this from not only just a creative, but a business pers perspective. And I kind of parted ways and I just had to kind of restart everything that I had thought I had started at the time over again. And uh, yeah, it was a huge wake up call. All right, got time for a couple more, I think. Hi, um, so I, I guess my story kind of resonates a lot with you, Chris, because you know, I, I went to school for economics and I thought my field was gonna be in environmental, but now this is what I really feel passionate about. So where do you even start building your connections when you built all your connections in something completely different? So that's my question. Um. You know, for me, it was like I, I went to school in Central California, San Luis Obispo, and I kind of knew that if I wanted to work within art or fashion, I couldn't, number one, be there. It was either possibly San Francisco, L.A., or New York. So you have to put yourself, number one, in an environment where you're kind of like like and around like-minded individuals, people that kind of have the same vision or kind of have the same passion of what they want to do. Um, and then really for me, like once I got here, it was just kind of like a networking thing. It was like I met one person and it kind of lead you to someone else and then it would kind of lead you to someone else and be kind of just open minded about who you who you meet friendly. And, you know, just really, you know, network is, is as hard as you really can. And, you know, now there's like so much more that I think is available to you as opposed to like when I even just graduated, like with just all the social media stuff and like LinkedIn and like things like that, I would just kind of try and take advantage of any of those or all of them if you if you can if you have the time you know can you ask that one more time for the microphone with only only because we're recording yes okay so I'm trying to use my social media to make myself stand out. So how do you do that when there's other, well, for me, women and people doing the same thing? I mean, I, I, for me, it's like um, I get, uh, I, I, I love Instagram. Um, these guys are really talented with their Instagram as well. And like for me, um, for example, like I have a photo shoot on Monday and the person that, one of the people that we were going to work with, um, didn't look like they looked in the photos that they sent us. So I was like, all right, that's not gonna work. Um, and so we needed we needed basically like a team of people to join our photo shoot like really quickly. And so I just went to Instagram and just shouted out at a couple of people. I said, hey, um, hit me up if you're interested. And I did have about like five or ten people, and almost every single one of them wrote back right away, um, which was really really cool. So I you know I would recommend just like using um, you know all the social media to your advantage, like write someone a note and say, hey, call me, give them your phone number, give them your email address. And you know, if you don't try those little things, which you might think might be overlooked, um, then they'll be overlooked, you know, like, so yeah, I would just try, I would just do due diligence and put your feelers out there and hopefully the, you'll get connected to who you want to be connected with. Reach out to the people who you want to be working with and eventually you probably will work with them if they respond. And I think, I think another point, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it up here, is your brand, right? Like, what is your brand? What is the depth of what your brand stands for? And there are a tremendous number of stories that can be told or shared or created 
around that brand's message, right? When you think about the hand craftsmanship of the, you know, these sort of leather and sporting goods, there's a whole arena of, you know, everything from PETA, right? Or, you know, <laughs> to, you know, to, re you know, real athlete stories and these success stories. So, you know, what does your brand stand for and start to create commentary around those, those moments? Yeah, I would also add to, you know, don't discount the value of having a different background than your competitors. That is why you'll stand out. Leverage that play to your strength so you have an economics understanding. Look at the micro and macro trends of fashion. Do your regression analysis. Do all the breakdown of the data that says this is what fashion does to impact society. And put out these, these trend reports of your own and say here's the economics of fashion. Here's my perspective because you cut through the noise when you have content. Because it used to be first you have the money, then you get the power. Now it's if you create the content, you get the power create content with a narrative that plays to your strength and it weeds out all the noise in the marketplace. Because if you want to compete with other fashion designers, you're going to lose that game. It's not your game. But if you play the game of economics, they can't play in your arena. So stay in your lane. Use your gifts and talents to your strength and don't worry about keeping up with other chicks. They don't exist. It's you. Focus on your craft. That's what I would do. And you'll find the people that follow you and you serve them. And then that's how you create a movement. Don't worry about nobody else. Just do you. All right. One more question. Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for all that. Anyway, um, I think I can relate to you most. I'm not really in tune with my. Uh, Sorry, guys. You know, uh, hey, man. Hey. No, no, no. Yeah, man. I'm just more. Uh, I'm more into the creative and design aspect, and I don't have much business and uh, economic knowledge. Uh, so, what do you suggest? You know for someone who has very little knowledge of these things to, uh, you know, where can we learn more about this? Where can we, like, is it trial and error or yeah, should I mean, we go for school me, for like, it? I think at the end of the day, if you're, like, a creative person and, and you like the design or you like art or whatever, you're always going to, you're going to find that, like, 80% of your day is going to be going back into, like, doing that anyways, you know? So I think it's really trying to utilize or kind of, like, build a team that, can work around you. If, if you have a homie that just went to business school or just is innately, you know, is really good street, street smart, put him in that position or find somebody that is willing and can, you can kind of like share the vision you have with someone else and utilize people for the specific strengths that they have, you know, kind of going back to what we were just saying, like if, if you went to school for economics, like focus on that division of your life and l allow people that number one are passionate about what they do, whether it be creative, whether it be like the business element, whether it be marketing and kind of like focus like that. And I think that's part of being successful is being able to create a really good foundation of people that um, are utilized based on their individual strengths, you know? Um, so, I mean, I guess just, I recommend just putting yourself in a position where people can be utilized for those different things around you. All right. <laughs> he does want to hear from you guys. He does. He does relate. I look up to him too. And him, so I get it. Um, man, YouTube is a great resource to learn. I mean, like if I would do it all over again, I would have learned the same things in business school just by going to YouTube, going to Udemy, going to you know, um, I mean, Lynda.com. These websites now, man, education is 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 free. The hustle isn't. So you got to have a hustle. That's the part that you can't quantify is the hustle to learn. So. There's no barriers to how you get the business knowledge. It's only your desire to find it. So use the internet, man. It's out there. Like literally all the same tools we teach at Stanford and in business school, they're free now on the internet. I didn't, I didn't know what a mentor was until um, I reached out to someone outside of like my teachers when I was in school. 
And just being able to reach out to someone and ask them a question and have them answer you based on their experience in an industry is a, is a game changer. So um, <clears throat> fortunately, I've had tons of people who are way older than me, way more experienced than me um, in my back pocket, so to speak, that I can reach out to in various, any question that I have, whether it's um, what type of corporation do we need to be, how do we deal with bookkeeping, how do we fire someone correctly, um, because they're not doing their job, you know, like there's a lot of... Don't do it like Donald Trump did it, just, <laughs> just totally off topic. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so basically just like reaching out to, um, just reaching out to people who uh, have the experience and just asking them the questions that you have and they'll give you answers and if you do that with enough people you'll have, you know, a, a good filter of kind of where you should be with what you're trying to, to learn, you know. Well, thank you guys. This has been tremendous. Give you guys a yeah, round of applause. This has been amazing. And don't forget, BehindTheHustle.com, at BehindTheHustle. Um, these guys are going to stick around. Please make sure you stick around and, and explore the space, meet each other. Uh, you may, you'll be surprised at who you meet and what sorts of resources are in this room right now. Um, my name is Chris Denson, and thank you all. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode of Innovation Crush Design Life, brought to you by Behind the Hustle and Samsung on Crush Live.